Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brennan Bolin, joined by my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, Ed? Pretty good. How are you doing, Brennan? I'm doing fantastic, my man. It's a little chilly out today, but no complaints. It's a great day out here in Colorado. But, um, you know, this, this week of football, yet again, it was a great one. You know, there, there was no big matchups this week, but uh, every game was a great one. Uh, there, was some, there was a few upsets, and then there were some teams that really were able to prove themselves. And I think we're starting to, you know, really see the identity of a lot of college football teams right now. And you know, even though there was no big matchups, there was nothing. There, we were not ran short of great games. And one of the first games I want to get into is the Notre Dame versus Wisconsin. This is one we kind of uh, covered last week. We previewed into, and you know, I believe both of us picked Notre Dame right, and that was the outcome of it. But you know, that that game, it was a lot closer than the final score looked. It it was forty one thirteen. Notre Dame was able to pull it out, but. You know, it was a great game up until, you know, that fourth quarter. What did you, what'd you see out of that Notre Dame-Wisconsin game, Ed? Well, I saw a Notre Dame team that was resilient. They brought in a, you know, a freshman quarterback who was probably their number three on their depth chart at the beginning of the season. And, they you know, he, he came in, drew pine, and he held it down. Um, you know, he did what he could. And I, I really respect the fact that Brian Kelly did what he had to to get the win. I thought I thought this whole team was... You know, I, I thought they were running on all cylinders. You know, they win in different ways. I mean, they're not they're not winning on the offensive side of the ball like they did last year. But you know, they're playing great defense. You know, I, th- I think yeah. I mean, it was a closer game. But yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's quarterback situation. I mean, he this is a guy who you know was pretty well recruited, and he's not doing so well. Yeah, I mean, do you do you feel like Notre Dame or excuse me, Wisconsin is kind of you know, regretting their decision, moving on from Jack Cohen and going on to Graham Mertz? I, it's hard to say. I mean, neither neither has really done the job for them. I mean, they've they, the, the problem with Wisconsin is they, they can't really do either. I mean, you know, they were hoping to be more of a passing team, but they're not running the ball very well either. And traditionally been a team that relies on the offensive line and I'm not saying that's the problem with this team but you know I, I think I think it's uh partially an issue of playmakers I, I just don't think they have the Jonathan Taylors that they've had in the past and you know I I, I totally get where you're coming from um you know Graham Mertz he, he had a really tough day he threw th- four interceptions but he wasn't getting much help out there and you know Notre Dame has a, one of the most dominant defenses in college football right now and it you know we, we were able to see it against that team and it, it was a tough game for Jack, uh, for Graham Mertz, but 100% can't be all of his fault. But I want to point out Drew Pine, like you said, you know, probably like third on that depth chart, able to come in and they didn't ask him to throw the ball much, but when they did, he was able to produce. Threw the ball like 10 times, but I think he completed seven passes. A couple of them were big, you know, third down conversions. So um, awesome to see guys like that. Um, how about Clemson losing to NC State? That's a big one. Uh, this is this is a big hit for Clemson. Um, what 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 went wrong in this game for Clemson? 
Well, I, th- I think it's, you know, Clemson Clemson is really struggling on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're from a defensive side of the ball, I mean, they're they're better than they've been in, you know, recent years. But DJ Uyunglele is not, you know, he's not putting up the numbers um, that we thought. I mean, this is a five-star recruit, and uh, he doesn't look comfortable in the offense. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't score enough points. I mean, um, you know, the NC State... Um, you know, didn't score a ton of points either. It was only a couple touchdowns and maybe some change. And, um, you know, it, it last second field goal. Um, so, I mean, the, the Clemson, Clemson, the change that needs to be made on, on the Clemson team is on the offensive side of the ball. No, I agree with you. The, the offense doesn't really seem to have an identity right now. And you can't because you're not comfortable with really any part of your offense. So you can't get anything established. But... You're not you're not really doing anything wrong on the defensive side of the ball, which has to be frustrating for Debo, because like you said, this is this is one of the best defenses they've had in a while. This the, they gave up their first touchdowns of the season this game, so you're, you're doing everything right on the defensive side of the ball. But you know, once once you're getting like a hundred passing yards a game from your quarterback, it you can't you're not going to win football games. And the thing is, Clemson's defense played great for. You know, pretty much three and a half quarters of the game, but when it came to it in overtime, NC State played better, and it was quite a surprise. And you know what this means? Clemson's not going to the playoffs anymore, and I don't necessarily think they deserve it. The just the offense is so it's so bad. They were 0 for 7 on third down at one point of the game, and that's just that's not a team that has any chance at making a run in the playoffs. So. This is definitely a Clemson team that's struggling to find their identity. Um, you, you just got to get help from the offensive side of the ball. I mean, what do you, what do you, can you even do right now? Is there anything you can change on the offensive side of the ball? Do you try to make a roster change? Are you are you confident in keeping DJ as your starter for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's necessarily a roster change that they need to do. I think it's more. Um, you know, getting getting it, um, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint. No, I get that. I get that. You can't, and it is his first year. You know, getting getting the full time start. It's just trying to trying to find what your uh, what your young quarterback is comfortable with. But you know, it's a tough loss for Clemson, and it, it looks like it's going to be a tough rest of the season unless they could get that offense up and rolling. But how about another great matchup? Arkansas really proving themselves against a win uh, with a win over Texas A and M. Um, Arkansas moves to four and zero now. Uh, what is what does this win mean for Arkansas, and how were they able to pull it off against Texas A and M? Well, I think one thing that happened with the Arkansas team is a lot of these seniors, you know, they were given the extra year of eligibility with the coronavirus, and they all kind of came back and said, you know, we want to come back and win and. Um, you know, this isn't like a team that's loaded with draft prospects or top end talent or, um, you know, I, I think there's just always a few teams every year that kind of flash, um, you know, that, that play together for a few years. And I, I'd have to say Arkansas, I think is a one year wonder, but, uh, you know, this is, this is a great story. I mean, that, you know, to beat Texas A&M, to 
be as resilient as they have been, their schedule is going to get a lot tougher. And so I think the swan song is kind of going to die down. But it's it's been a nice ride for Arkansas. And, um, you know, I mean, for them to get the win against Texas A&M, this is a tough opponent. They showed in that game that they really wanted to win. You could see in the game they were diving for balls. They were blitzing. You could see the energy. You could see... Well, they weren't blitzing, but you know they they were diving for balls. They you could see the high effort in their game. You could see the energy on the sideline that this team really wanted to win this game. And frankly, what happened in that game was that Arkansas wanted to win this game more than Texas A and M. No, that's a great point. I mean, this I think Arkansas really saw this as a big statement game, and they were able to live up to that statement. Um, you know, uh, KJ Jefferson, who was having a real solid day for for Arkansas ended up going out at one point and you know you're it was it was late in the game but you're able to overcome that adversity and still still pull it out against one of the tougher opponents you're going to be playing this year and you know on the defensive side of the ball Arkansas looked super vicious the defensive line was having themselves a heyday they were getting pressure while only rushing three and four and um, Texas A&M simply just couldn't get anything started offensively because of that uh, dinks and dunks were the only things they had going for themselves. You threw the ball, I want to say, 35, 36 times that game, and you had a hundred, like 150 yards passing. So that's that's really tough. Um, you you got you you expect to have more than 150 yards and one pick when you're throwing the ball 36 times. That just I think that goes to prove how dominant Arkansas's defense can be this year. Do you, is there any chance Arkansas is legit if that defense can stay healthy the rest of the year? Do you see them being a, a sleeper team a sleeper team making it into the playoffs? I wouldn't say they're they're college football playoff worthy, but I think I think they could go to a good bowl. I think I think if they really like show you know the type of effort that they did against Texas A and M, I I could see this being like a New Year's six New Year six team. Um, you know, play in one of those big bowls, especially if they get a few wins in the SEC that they shouldn't get. Um, I would love to see that, but I mean that's kind of the ceiling for them. But there's no there's no chance of them getting into the playoffs. Going into next week, we got some big matchups coming up. Uh, SEC rivalry game between Ole Miss and Alabama. Uh, I see this one ending with the Alabama win. What do you see coming out of this one, Ed? Yeah, I, I see this being an Alabama win. But you know, you know, Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss is always planning for this game. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a few plays go Ole Miss's way. Yeah, no, definitely. This is. I mean, this is two of the best offenses in college football, and. Ole Miss has put up some of the best numbers you'll see in college right now, and like you said, this is this is a big game. Ole Miss is they've been ready for this. Uh, this is a big rivalry. You know, Matt Corral's on fire. It, you know, if Alabama can contain him, I, I think they get the win. You know, Ole Miss is putting up some of the biggest numbers in football right now. Bama has put up a lot of points too. I think this is going to be a huge shootout. Definitely taking the over on this one. There's going to be a lot of points scored. Um. What is what do you think Ole Miss has to do in this game in order to, you know, find a way to beat Alabama? I, I, I'm, and they're not going to stop Alabama's offense, but they're got to, you know, kind of water it down a little bit, um, which is very hard to do. And then they need to sort of play the offensive game they've played all year. Um, so they need to figure out. I don't know if it's maybe like they need to drop back into zone. 
um, you know, maybe like do some creative things, maybe like rush three and drop back eight and, um, you know, and, and then mix in some different blitzes and so forth. I don't know. It's just, it's so hard to blitz against Nick Saban teams because he's just, you know, he's, you know, he's got great offensive line. The, their quarterbacks, you know, seem to be prepared. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is, this is Bryce Young's first year. And so if they know when to blitz and know when to drop eight and know when to get creative, that that that's really but you know to be honest with you i don't i don't think old miss really has the personnel on the defensive side of the ball to stop alabama so i mean i i see this going alabama's way no no i get i get totally agree with you um i like what you said though this is bryce young's first year so if you have any chance you got to take advantage advantage of that try to cause a little bit of confusion on the defensive side of the ball but um like it's it's just so hard to do against such a disciplined, smart Alabama football team. Nick Saban, you know, we were saying Ole Miss is game planning for this. I bet Nick Saban's game planning just as hard, if not harder, for this game. This is Alabama's first you know, first big matchup again since Florida, and that game was a lot closer than they wanted it to be. So I think they're you know coming out ready to prove themselves, prove that hey, don't worry guys, we're still Alabama, we're still that number one uh, number one college team. You know, both sides of the ball completely dominant. I I do think uh, this is a high-scoring game, but I think Alabama pulls away in this one. And how about jumping into Arkansas versus Georgia? Uh, two a battle of some of the best defenses you'll see in college football. You know, old old school football guys are gonna love this one. Uh, what do you see coming out of this game, Ed? Well, I I see I see this you know I see this being more of a defensive game than we usually see from the SEC. Um, that's definitely going to be apparent. Um, you know, Georgia's really heavily favored. Um, so, I mean, if we're, if we're betting the spread, you know, I'm, this is not advice, but I, I, I would probably take, if I were a betting man, I'd probably take Al- uh, Arkansas in this game, um, just, just with the spread. I mean, it's like a couple touchdowns. I do see Georgia coming out as the winner in this game. The it, It's just, you know, Georgia Georgia's just a better team. Uh, overall, and I think they're a lot better. Um, you know, they're, they're a lot more experienced. You know, they their their players are more highly recruited, and you know, I I, th- I think the veteran presence of Arkansas. I don't think that's going to be a match for the Georgia Bulldogs. No, I I agree with you, Ed. And like you said, this is this is a battle of defense, a lot more defense than we're used to seeing for the SEC. But uh, Georgia's going to win this one out, and I think uh, Arkansas. They, they've got a big challenge coming ahead because, you know, K.J. Jefferson played a great game while he, was, uh, while he wasn't injured last week. But you're coming off of an injury, and you don't have a long time to rest against arguably the best defense in college football right now. It's, it's going to be a tough game for K.J. Jefferson, and I, I just I don't think he, they're going to be able to move the ball as much as they'd like to, especially because Arkansas loves to, you know, rely on that dominant run game. And, if they could get that started, you have a chance against Georgia. I don't. I really don't think it's getting started though. Georgia's defense has looked phenomenal, and not to say Arkansas's hasn't, because Arkansas's defense has looked great themselves. But Georgia's Georgia's just a better football team right now. Um, but both teams play hard, physical, disciplined football. I expect a hard-fought game on both sides. But I definitely, I definitely see Georgia coming out on top for this one. This, this week's full of great matchups. Another one we got is Cincinnati versus Notre Dame. I think I'm going to have to take Notre Dame in this one, but what are you thinking, Ed? Yeah, 
Notre Dame, Notre Dame is the more experienced team. I think they got the better coach. I think they've played these types of matchups more than Cincinnati. I think I think this is a game where Cincinnati falls. I I do respect the heck out of Cincinnati for saying, "Hey, we're a non-power power five conference team, and we can play with teams like Notre Dame." I know I know Notre Dame's not a power five conference team technically, but I mean they are in that category. Um, you know, I love that they pick a tough opponent, um, go after it. You know, we've we've seen with the UCFs and the non-power five conference teams that you know they, they they can crack the top ten and so forth, and they can go undefeated, and they deserve to be there. But um, you know, in these top ten matchups, I, I it's hard it's hard to upset a team you know that's just so you know better recruited and better you know coached and um, just just really honestly more resources put towards football at these schools. But you know, I mean, I mean Cincinnati. You know, this is a growing program. This is a team that you know I think I think will be in the Big Twelve um, when it's all said and done. So I mean, I mean, this is this is a showcase, and if if they can pull if they can pull off an upset, I don't think they will. But if they can pull off an upset, I mean, what what an upset um, this will be. No, I it would be quite the upset because I I do see Notre Dame pulling this one out. Uh, especially it's at Notre Dame. I, I just can't see it happening. And you know what Notre Dame has proved to me so far this year is that their defense is incredibly dom- dominant when it matters the most. And uh, I just I don't think Cincinnati necessarily has the offense to 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 make it count when it has to. I, I really I, I think Notre Dame, they've been great in the past in past defense, run defense, and Cincinnati hasn't necessarily they haven't had too many tough games. They they had a great win over Indiana. I think uh, they were down down a couple possessions, but were able to show some resilience. And you know that's that's a great thing to see out of Cincinnati. But like I said, this is at Notre Dame, and I just Notre Dame does not lose at home very often at all. So you know, being being the better team, the better recruited team, um, I think playing a little bit of better football. And I think I think I believe you're getting Jack Cohen back healthy. So. If you if you have your starting quarterback uh, able to rally everybody together, I definitely see Notre Dame pulling this one out. Yeah, I think I think of all the games that we talked about, this is going to be the best one though. I mean, I, I think you know the fact is is that you know even if even if Jack Cohen is back in this game, I think that you know Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback, and I mean he's you know we're going to talk about him during draft time, and, you know probably the first or second round, so. You know Cincinnati's going to be able to you know use that quarterback quarterback run. So um, this is going to be this is going to be a game that lasts into the fourth quarter. You know Jack Cohen when he was playing last uh, last week um, against Wisconsin, he wasn't necessarily having a bad game, but he wasn't having a great game. You know he was he was kind of controlling the ball, not necessarily pushing the ball downfield that much. You know you got a couple of big catches uh, by Kevin Austin, but other than that, they really, they really weren't doing that much offensively until until Wisconsin was starting to make the offensive mistakes, and they were able to get those turnovers. So, uh, if if Cincinnati plays disciplined football, they they have a chance. They have a chance. I just I think Notre Dame's defense, they they just break you down, and you know eventually they they cause you to make mistakes. So, if if they if Cincinnati can play disciplined, it's coming down to the wire. But like you said, this is this is probably going to be. The, one of the best, if not the best, matchups we see out of college football this week. So I wonder, you know, if if Jack Cohn can't go and uh, Drew Pine starts, do I mean, do you still do you still give the favorite to Notre Dame? 
I, I, Drew Pine, they, like I said earlier, they didn't ask him to do too much earlier uh, when he came in. They had him throw the ball, what, 10 times, I believe. He looked comfortable. He looked really comfortable. No, no, I think he completed like 80% of the passes. So uh, I, I still want to give it to Notre Dame because I'm not necessarily relying on them pushing the ball downfield on offense too much. I, I think their defense is going to help set them up with good field position. I don't think they're going to have to drive the length of the field too often. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a harder-fought battle, and your defense is going to have to pick it up another notch if, if uh, Drew Pine has to step in. But I'm still, I, th- I think I'm still taking Notre Dame. What what would you take Notre Dame? No, I'd go with Cincinnati and Desmond Ritter. Um, I, I just uh, the thing is is you know Drew Pine. I mean I just one thing when he came into the game is uh you know you could just feel a little bit of like nervousness in in his uh in his demeanor in his body language and you know you ask him to start a game and you, you know I mean they can game plan for him they can you know learn you know Cincinnati can learn how to blitz him and so forth and throw things at him he hasn't seen before. Um, so I, I think if he can, and you know, you know, they're going to plan for both, you know, if you're Cincinnati. So yeah, I, 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 I take Cincinnati if Drew Pine is a starter. Hopping over to NFL. We have, we had some insanely, uh, great matchups last week and some great ones coming up this week. Uh, one of the biggest matchup of the, of maybe all of the NFL so far, uh, was the Los Angeles Rams versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, it, a lot of people uh, thought that the Rams were going to pull this one out, but, you know, I know a lot, a lot of people were thinking that Tom Brady was still, you know, at the top and that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to pull this one out, but it's not what happened. Matt Stafford was able to catch heat, and, you know, what what went wrong with Tampa Bay this game, Ed? Why were the Rams able to pull this out? Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think a team like um, the Rams, I think, you know, pretty much just you know, I think they wanted it more. I mean, you could you could tell that, you know, the Bucks the Bucks were playing about as good as they could play. But, you know, the fact of the matter is is that, uh, you know, the Rams the Rams won it at the end. And, um, you know, this is this is this is an indictment of the Bucks. But I I, I just think that you know McVeigh. I mean, you could see the emotion of him on the sideline. You could see how, you know, he got off to a start in the first half and how, you know, he was so excited about that. Um, I, I, I just, I just think, I just think that McVay is coaching for his life. Um, you know, not that he's anywhere near the hot seat, but, um, you know, with the new stadium and the new, you know, how loud that stadium can get and the sound system and, um, the energy that he brings McVay, it really meant more to the, to the Rams. This was a huge statement game for the Rams. And I think, I think you could make a strong case that the Rams, with that win, solidified themselves as the best team in football right now, possibly. Uh, both sides of the ball are looking incredibly dominant and awesome for Matt Stafford. Finally finally gets his chance to, you know, prove what he's really worth, put his skill set to the test, and, you know, he's been given a great team around him, and, you know, guys are really stepping up with him. Cooper Cup is playing some of the best football of his life right now, and I like you said, the the Rams just wanted this game more. Off- offensively, both teams were slow. They they couldn't. I think both teams couldn't get a first down for the first three four drives. But um, once the Rams were able to get that first big offensive drive, they scored and they didn't stop scoring. I, I think they scored on six straight uh, six straight drives, four touchdowns, two field goals, and I think that just proves that the Rams, when they want to put up points and they have figured you out, they're gonna do it and they're not gonna slow down. 
I and I really think that you know it kind of it kind of showed that the Bucks have some weaknesses on their on their team. That secondary is in a huge amount of trouble, and you you could see it. They they just signed Richard Sherman today. I'm not too sure if you were able to catch that, but Richard Sherman is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and you know you're you're really starting to see the effects of losing uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, who really came into his own last year. So it's it just it shows there's a lot of a lot of holes on Tampa Bay right now that weren't necessarily there last year, and your your offense is might be the most one-dimensional offense in football right now. Your running game was horrendous. Uh, I think Tom Brady was actually the leading rusher on Tampa Bay. Uh, they they thought that making the switch to Leonard Fournette for being the starter would, you know, maybe change something. Obviously, it didn't because they, they didn't run for over, like, 12 yards, I don't believe. So I, I think that this kind of, this is a great win for the Rams, but this is this is kind of a concerning loss for the Buccaneers. Tom Brady... You know, he he played a great game, threw for 400 yards. But if you threw for 400 yards and you're not winning football games, that's concerning. Um, do you think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans should be concerned about this win, uh, this loss, Ed? Well, I think I think they should be concerned about their secondary. I mean, what do you mean concerned? Concerned they're not going to make the playoffs? I don't think. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to be there. Um, you know, Brady will always f- be able to figure it out. Um, you know, Richard Sherman is a is a step towards fixing that secondary. I just I I, I would be concerned about the fact that you know if you want to throw the ball downfield against the Bucks, you can do that and I think that is a liability and to be honest with you Tom Brady can't you know he can't he can fix that problem with points but he can't he can't be there you know to 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 play to play cornerback for you I mean the um you know so I mean the second you know you said it the secondary is I mean there's kind of a way to beat every team um and and I think I think if you if you have a good quarterback and you can throw the ball downfield against the Bucks, then I think that's how you beat them. I I I wouldn't be concerned about them missing the playoffs. There there, you know, there's too much uh, talent on that team, uh, too many veterans, too many smart football players on that team to not make the playoffs. But um, if if this secondary doesn't figure it out, come you know, I know it's a long time out, but if they don't figure these issues out come playoff time, and then this secondary looks the same. There's no chance they go. They they're making it for a run. Um, team teams will catch on to that. They have more time to game plan in the playoffs, and they'll they'll attack your weakness like no other. Uh, so hopefully, bringing Richard Sherman in. You know, last uh, last time he was playing football, he was he was actually playing some very good football. But um, you know, age and everything is is always a factor. He also brings a great you know mental aspect to the game. He's you know one of the smartest football players we've seen in recent years. So. You know, hopefully he can help bring that kind of leadership and brain to that to that secondary. Help elevate some guys around him. You know, with this win, Ed, do do you in your eyes does this make the Rams the best team in football right now? Gosh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the Chiefs are one and two, so it's hard to say that they're the best team in football. Gosh, I, I mean, I th- I think from a personnel perspective, for sure. Um, you know, you could say the Rams are the best team in football. I, I think I think you'd say that. I mean, I mean, um, you know, but I mean, Buffalo lost to Pittsburgh, so you can't say them. Um, the Titans quite haven't quite peaked yet. You know, maybe maybe the Browns, uh, but the Browns have one loss. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I I would say 
I would say yeah, I, I think they're number one on the power rankings. But I mean, it's not a it's not a done deal. I mean, this is the you know there's still a lot to play out in this season. But I I, I mean I I think everyone was on the Rams and I was on the Rams bandwagon when they got Matthew Stafford. I think adding Matthew Stafford was a great addition. Um, I think with that new stadium, I think with the crowd noise, I think there's a lot of reasons to think that the Rams are are prime for a Super Bowl run right now. No, 100%, Ed. And I think Sean McVay and Stafford are just a match made in heaven. Stafford looks like he's, you know, been running that offense for quite some time already. So he actually has the best QBR in the league and I think the third best passer rating in football. So Stafford, he's tearing it up. He's he's one of the best quarterbacks in football right now. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, guys like Cooper Cup are playing some of the best football of their life. So, And he's been uh, given guys like Deshaun Jackson who were able to stretch the field. You were able to see it against Tampa last week. So he had a couple of plays where he scored on one, but Stafford actually missed him on another. But he now has that kind of almost every element of his offense open that he didn't have in Detroit. So you're seeing what, you know, Stafford is fully blossoming now, what he can do when he has, you know, all the pieces around him and there's actual structure to his organization. So I think you know, 100% bringing Stafford here and what he's been able to do has turned this Rams team into, like like I said, uh, probably the best team in football right now. It is early. It is, you know, it was just week three, but you can tell that the Rams are going to finish this season out and still be one of the better teams. And we haven't even talked about the defense. You know, Jalen Ramsey just played a fantastic game. Um, you know, obviously you have Aaron Donald. You were able to you were able to hold the the Buccaneers to 20 rushing yards. And if Tom Brady's your uh, leading rusher, you did your job 100%. So uh, if you if you can carry that defensive play on week in week out, the Rams will 100% be one of the best teams when this season's all said and done. No, I mean, I, just stopping the run is just a really good sign too for the for the Rams I mean I think one of the things that I worry about you know I, I mean every team has holes but I think one of the areas where maybe the Rams are a little bit weaker is probably the linebacker position no I agree I mean you the secondaries there they were they showed it but um the linebacker position is definitely at least roster wise um the weakest spot of your football team and if te- if teams learn how to attack that if you if you like your matchups with you know tight ends I, I could see the Rams struggling against a team like KC, even though KC's been struggling. Guys like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and Darren Waller, I feel like they can play some good football against the Rams because I don't see many guys that can match up with with those bigger, very athletic, big tight ends. So uh, I think if you if you get guys that can kind of work out of the backfield well, great receiving backs and uh, a strong tight end, I think that might be your one-way ticket to finding a way to beat the Rams. And how about how about the Aaron Rodgers uh, proving that he still has it? You know, has a little bit of magic left in him, able to pull out that win over the San Francisco 49ers. How was he able to do it, Ed? What did you see out of that Packers-Niners game? I see that Aaron Rodgers still has it, and he still has it in prime time, and he still has it when the game's on the line. But you know, I I don't I don't want to say that like the 49ers played a bad game because I think the 49ers look good. I mean, one small thing I really want to point out or just get out on the air is you know Nick Bosa looks back. I mean, he's coming back from a big injury and um, you know he he was really getting some pressure and I think the 49ers played a great game. I I honestly think it was that you know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers had the ball last and that's the reason they won this game. 
Aaron Rodgers, he had a great game last week, and you know he re, he recapped this week again. Uh, he made he made some incredibly elite throws. Uh, that one to Marquez Valdez Scantling in the corner of the end zone. Even Scantling himself said that that was the best catch he's ever caught in his or the best throw he's ever caught in his life. And that's that's an NFL player. That's a guy that's caught a lot of footballs before. And so that just that proves that Aaron Rodgers still has that elite arm talent. And you know he's. He doesn't look like he's necessarily lost a step since last year. I know there was that week one, but we all know that that was not true Aaron Rodgers. And you also pointed out the 49ers, they didn't play a bad game. Defensively, you played very well, uh, especially early in the game. Your offense just took a little bit too long to, you know, to to follow. The offense picked it up um, come the second half of the game, but... I think if you're able to get points on the board a little earlier when you, you know, when you were giving these uh, opportunities to work with short field position, um, because the 49ers defense was making quite a few stops uh, early on in the game, but uh, it just took a little bit of time for the 49ers to find out what was working for them on the offensive side of the ball. But when they did, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, he he looked pretty solid. I, I might be one of the biggest Jimmy Garoppolo critics in the world. And, you know, he, yesterday he kind of proved me wrong. He was making some high-level throws. I just, I, I, will, I will eat my words on Jimmy Garoppolo right now. He, he played better football than I was expecting to see out of him. One thing I want to point out, though, is Mason Crosby was the true MVP of that game. You know, Mason Crosby has been on a tear ever since he had that one game where he missed four field goals and back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. But um, he's, you know, consistently been one of the best kickers in football and you know, without without Mason Crosby making all of those kicks in that game, the 49ers pull through. It's just it's unfortunate that you know you get the one guy in the world you probably can't give 33 seconds to is Aaron Rodgers, and that's exactly what happened. So I don't think this is a bad loss for the 49ers. I think it's there's some moral victories in a way. Obviously, you always want to come out with a win in the win column. You're able to kind of show that you guys are can still be dominant on the defensive side of the ball. Just need to fix you know kind of fix some some execution errors. But other than that, uh, I think the 49ers can be a good team this year. And do you think there's any chance the 49ers, you know, maybe sneak up and snag second in that division over the Cardinals and uh, Seahawks? Well, I like I like the Cardinals this year. I think the Cardinals are a good football team. I think their free agent additions are showing up. No, I agree. I, l- I love the Cardinals right now, and they're they're playing some of the, some of the best football we've seen out of them. And uh, Kyler Murray, he looks like he could be a you know, somebody that you might be able to want, uh, put your money down for MVP. Uh, Cardinals are playing fantastic football. So uh, I, it's just, you know, we kind of saw it last year with the Cardinals. They played good football early and then slowed down. So uh, I think it's just whoever gets hot late in the year is taking second in that division. But uh, speaking of weird divisions, how about the AFC West? That it looks, I mean, completely flopped how we how we'd expect it. Kansas City on the bottom and the Las Vegas Raiders and Denver Broncos on top. I mean, do you, do you think anybody expected to see this, Ed? Well, you know, I, I, th- I think the main factor in is the strength of schedule. I mean, the Broncos have played really like a lot of easy games, and, uh, you know, the Raiders have, are showing up in a way that we didn't think they would. And um, the, Chiefs, the Chiefs have played a tough schedule. I mean, le- the, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they, they've, been, they've been bombarded with tough games at the beginning. And so, I mean, they're sitting at one and two, but I, I, think, I think they're going to climb back to the top. You know, I, I agree. They've definitely played the hardest games. I mean, Denver... Um, all of their matchups are against winless teams so far, but that's I don't want to take away anything from Denver because those are the games they were given and given and they were able to produce. So uh, Teddy Bridgewater's playing great football, but 
you know, Kansas City, they had to play the Browns. They had to play the Ravens. They had to play the Chargers. All teams that are, you know, playoff, playoff teams. I think you can see that Kansas City's not necessarily the team they were last year and the year before. Defensively, they are probably, the, not even probably, they are the worst run defense in football, and it's not close. And, you know, in the secondary, you're lacking too. The defense is just, it's simply not good. The defense is by far the worst in the AFC West. Um, you know, Tyreek Hill didn't have a good game last week. Travis Kelsey has been your only really consistent part of that offense this year. Uh and then you got you got the Chargers and the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders, the biggest surprise to me with the Raiders is that defense. Um, a lot of questions, you know, were concerning this defense this year because just a lot of young players, guys that necessarily haven't had too much, you know, starting time in the NFL, and they're really showing out. Uh, Max Crosby, you know, has been phenomenal. He's you know top of the leaderboard in in pressures and. Guys are just guys are just showing up. It's a completely different Raiders defense than we saw last year, and Derek Carr's playing some phenomenal football. And you know, I haven't even mentioned the Chargers, who are who are looking pretty solid on both sides of the ball. You had Asante Samuel, your defensive rookie draft pick, who just got you a pick last game, and Justin Herbert, who's looking like an early MVP favorite himself. So it's just it's right now. Other than the NFC West, this is probably the most competitive division in football. How do you how do you see this division looking in maybe five six weeks? Is it is it going to look completely different? I I, I I honestly think so. I mean, when Kansas City starts playing easier teams, um, you know, the, I mean, I mean, Kansas City, like to be honest with you, they have Chris Jones in the middle, but they've always kind of been a bend don't break kind of defense, and if they can get back to that kind of style. Um, I, I I think they'll be fine going forward. You know, I I get where you're coming from, but uh, you know, a lot of a lot of offenses are getting better now, and especially in this AFC West, Denver was able to get their quarterback. Derek Carr's looking great, so you know you could you could do so much Ben don't break, but I think I think they I think they need to do something different on the defensive side of the ball. I I 100% they think they're a playoff team. Patrick Mahomes is he's gonna figure it out. The dude's gonna throw you know north of 45 touchdowns this year probably but uh i think i think you have to do something different on the defensive side of the ball i think your offense when it when it comes down to it and when it's the biggest times of the year your offense will be able to produce but at at some point i think you're going to need your defense to be right there with you and i know that's not necessarily their identity but you know you're you're an nfl football team and it's just it's just hard to be you know, uh, a team that wants to be the Super Bowl favorite if if you have close to the 32nd ranked defense in football, especially especially like I said, with all of these offenses getting better, and you know, there's a lot of teams that last year uh, they were averaging you know 20 points a game that can now put up 30 points a game if they want to. Uh, teams are just getting better right now, so uh, I want to see Kansas City. I don't know if you're if you're maybe need to make a trade before the trade deadline or if it's something you need to do with with the X's and O's, you know, just something different schematically. Uh, I would I would like to see Kansas City do something different, but uh, I think there it, it's between them or the Raiders to win this division. And it's it hurts me to say that it's not Denver. I just think Denver has such an incredibly hard schedule ahead of them right now, and it's 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 so hard to stay that hot for so long, especially against such tough teams. I think Denver is third place by you know, maybe a game or two. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them pull out second place, but 
Um, I think this is going to be a race between uh, Kansas City and the Los Angeles or the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, who, who's your favorite? Uh, do you are you still taking the Chiefs to win this division, Ed? Yeah, I, I still go with Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. I think they figure it out as the season goes on. We're only in Week Four. You know, I I get I totally agree with you. Um, I like I said though, I would definitely like to see some changes made to that defensive side of the ball. But um, let let's uh, take a look at some of the matchups we have next week, and you know maybe maybe the biggest storyline we're gonna get out of this uh, this NFL season. Tom Brady makes his return to New England to play uh, the Patriots and Bill Belichick. So this is this is an exciting one. Uh, I think we I think we know how this one's gonna go, but what do you what do you see happening in this one, Ed? I I mean I honestly think that uh, you know Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. You know Tom's gonna want to win this game. He feels disrespected by Bill Belichick. You know he's gonna be amped for this game, and I think he wins this one. Yeah, I actually I think the Bucks win this one by a mile, uh, and I don't want to discredit Bill Belichick because he's working with with what he's got. But Mac Jones, he's he's shown that he can be efficient passing the ball. But he hasn't shown that he can necessarily be a big play guy and get you put as many points on the board as a team like Tampa Bay can. You know, the the best offensive game they've had is against the Jets, and that's not saying much. So uh, until they show me that they can, you know, hit on those 50-yard big plays, which is just not their identity, uh, I don't see them beating a team of this tier, especially with Tom Brady coming off of a loss. In personally, this is Tom Brady's biggest game of the season, and he knows that. We all know that Brady is not leaving New England without a win. It's not happening. And I just, I, I know there, there's the the secondary struggles with Tampa Bay right now, but like I just mentioned, the the Patriots they're having a hard time pushing the ball downfield. Uh, they they have shown that they kind of like to be that dink and dunk offense, run the ball. That's per that's that's perfect for Tampa Bay because that's what they excel in stopping. So I see Tampa Bay running away with this one, uh, and I think I think Tom Brady is. I think he's going to be very happy when he leaves this stadium. And do you? I mean, do you think there's any chance that Tampa or that uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots find a way to to hold Tom Brady? Well, I, I, I do think that Bill Belichick probably knows Tom Brady better than anyone out there. Um, you know, he's a master chess player. I don't. I don't. I think this will be a closer game than you're projecting. That's fair. I mean, it is Bill Belichick. He's he's definitely going to have something up his sleeve. He you know um, he knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses, and he knows that Brady knows them as well. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a totally different offensive game plan or, and or defensive game plan out of Bill Belichick. But um, I just it's hard for me to say that they don't kind of win this game by a couple of possessions um, simply because of I just matchup wise I like the I like Tampa Bay a lot better and just coming off of that loss and the storyline that it creates for Brady, I think this is going to be one of the best games we've seen out of them all year. I just, I, I see them pulling away from it, but th- what a win it would be for Bill Belichick. If he's able to pull this one out, I, I think it might help him in the, you know, in the argument where the Super Bowl's all Brady or were they all Belichick, you know? Um, obviously they were both, but I think this will really, really help kind of cement Belichick as being, you know, great 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 coach you know he already has but getting this win over Brady would be a very very big statement for his legacy I think and uh you know not too many other big uh power ranking matchups this week but one matchup that I really wanted to keep my eye on was the Ravens versus Broncos 
Uh, I think this is one that I can see going differently than a lot of other people are expecting. I like the matchup Denver has against uh, Baltimore. Uh, what do you see in this game, Ed? Well, I, I think Baltimore comes into town, um, and I think you know I think they're sporting you know Lamar Jackson and. Um, you know, you know, it, it'll probably be kind of like one of those afternoon games where it would be hot. I think they're going to be running the ball um, a lot. I, I, I do see the Ravens winning this game. Yeah, I, I could see, I see the Ravens, you know, inching this game out. But I, I, I'm actually, I'm going to go off on a limb. I'm going to take Denver in this one. I'm going on a limb. Uh, I know Denver has not played any true talent yet, but. I just, I really like how Denver matches up against the Ravens. They have a fast defense. They have safeties that can come down and be great run support in Justin Simmons. And he's also a guy that can cover sideline to sideline. And, you know, the Ravens, the receivers are not, not necessarily top tier. They, they struggled with drop touchdown passes last week. And, you know, Denver's corners and Denver's secondaries, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily get better than that. You can make a very strong argument that this is the best defense in football, at least roster-wise. And you you have linebackers that can, you know, cover half, half of the field and, you know, contain Lamar. Alexander Johnson is one of the more underrated and underappreciated linebackers in the league, and I think he could have a big game this week. Von Miller, obviously, I think is going to have a big game because that Ravens offensive line has it's been struggling this year, and Lamar has had to rely on his legs quite a bit, but... I get Von Miller's, you know, getting a little older, but he's, you know, before last week, I think he was leading the league in sacks. So he's he's shown that he he hasn't missed missed a step from that injury or with age. Uh, I I see Denver's defense coming up big this game, and as long as you can be that that consistent offense that you've been this year, uh, you don't necessarily need to score a lot of points. Obviously, the Lions were able to hold the Ravens to I think it was 19 points or something last week. So. Um, if, if you're not able to necessarily, exp, uh, you know, show your offensive identity against the Lions, I think you're going to struggle doing it in Denver against a Denver team that is 3-0 and feeling very confident about themselves right now. Uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to have a good game. My only concern is I know Denver had a couple of linemen go out last game. Uh, I haven't heard if they're coming back healthy, but uh, I know one's going to be out for next week. So, that's that's something to look out for, but I just I don't necessarily like all the injuries that Baltimore's having to deal with. And Denver, they did just lose KJ Hamler, so you kind of lose another part of your vertical aspect of the offense. You're out KJ Hamler, you're out Jerry Judy, but Tim Patrick has been playing phenomenal football. Cortland Sutton has been playing ph- phenomenal football, and the run game is present. So you have an incredibly balanced offense, and I think this is going to be other than the Chiefs, the biggest struggle for the Baltimore Ravens this season, at least up to this point. I, I, I think you're, you're bringing great analysis to the table. The The thing is, is that, I mean, a team like Baltimore, I mean, they, they, they've shown that they can beat a team like Kansas City, right? And I think, I think they're the type of team that, you know, is probably better coached than, you know, a team, a team like Denver, um, I, I think they're I think they're a team that you know has a lot you know I I think Denver may be a little bit more complacent now that you know they've they've basically been three and zero you know Denver Denver quite hasn't you know played anyone of Baltimore's caliber yet I think Baltimore wins this game still no I I get where you're coming from Ed I I just I like what I see from Denver now and 
I feel like going out on a limb this week. So I'm I'm taking Denver. I'm I'm feeling good about it, but uh, would not be surprised to see Baltimore take this one. But I, I wanted to thank everybody for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. And yeah, we're going to be hopping into an interview with Ed Hunt and Angelo. So he's going to take over from here. And uh, I appreciate you all listening. Before we conclude, I'd like to welcome Angelo Carriero to the show. He's been on a few times. He is from ESPN Radio Lexington, and he's going to be talking Kentucky Wildcats. How are you doing, Lex? I'm doing great, man. The Cats are 4-0 and with the big game against Florida this week. Uh, team's been a little up and down, but uh, if they come out with a win against the Gators, everything's going to be looking much more sunny here in Lexington. I hear that. I hear that. Were the wins over South Carolina and Missouri signs of what's to come for Kentucky in the SEC? Well, that's a, that's a good question because, uh, like they say, any win in the SEC is a good win, no matter you know, no matter the team and whatnot. But uh, there is reason for reservation because Missouri, obviously, they lost to Boston College. Uh, the team's not as good as they were last year, and that's to be expected. Uh, you and I are both huge NFL draft guys. This is the NFL draft blitz, you know, and uh, they lost a ton of talent on defense, and of course, their bell cow running back, Larry Roundtree. And uh, the team defensively, I mean, you even saw it in the first game against Central Michigan where Central Michigan just carved them up on the ground, and Kentucky did the same thing. And uh, that game shouldn't have been as close as it was if if it wasn't for Chris Rodriguez, who's one of the best running backs in the nation, fumbling twice at the goal line. Luckily, one was recovered for a touchdown by offensive lineman Eli Cox, but uh, that game shouldn't have been as close as it was. And and that's kind of what it bore out, at least in the first half. South Carolina offensively is pretty terrible. Now, they have some guys that can make plays, but the offensive line was bad. Kentucky tackled better in that game than any game that Kentucky had played this year, and that includes FCS opponents like uh, UT Chattanooga and, of course, uh, Louisiana Monroe with old uh, Rent Rodriguez over there, which apparently he was in the hospital, so I hope he's you know doing better. Uh, but I, I will say this. Even though they're wins, even though the Cats are 4-0, I'm a little dubious. I'm a little dubious of the team. Now, I think they can still go uh, the season with only three losses because Kentucky's about to have a stretch before their bye week where they play Florida, LSU, and Georgia all back-to-back-to-back. And for this Kentucky team, I'm just not sure if they're capable of going through that stretch without, uh, without losing potentially all three. In those three games, could you circle that LSU game as a game they could win? And maybe it may not even be an upset. I mean, Kentucky might even be the favorite. Absolutely. And uh, the reason why is because uh, the offense still can run the ball. Uh, Wandale Robinson, obviously transferring from Nebraska, he's been, to me, the best player on Kentucky's team this year. Uh, He's gone over 100 yards in every game except for the South Carolina game. But uh, he, he's been just an absolutely phenomenal playmaker uh, for the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, and against LSU, as long as they can tackle the way they've tackled, uh, Kentucky's hard to run up against the middle. They have a great pair of safeties. The linebacking talent is very good. Uh, and offensively, I believe in the Cats. So, yes, the LSU game is the one that if they're going to win a game in this stretch, I really believe that that's the one at home that they're going to be able to take away during that three-game stretch. Have they been able to be 4-0 and have the worst turnover differential? I mean, that's, that's like unheard of. Uh, 
Um, honestly, it's just quality of opponents. And I hate to say that because obviously you want to be glass half full. But uh, just the reality is that uh, Louisiana Monroe is one of the worst teams in college football. Uh, Missouri is one of the worst teams in the Power Five, at least right now in my opinion, because of obviously the struggles that they've had this year. Uh, UT Chattanooga, I'm not lying to you, Ed, might have been the best team Kentucky's played so far. And everybody thought that they were going to be some uh, walkover, but they were picked by the media to be the top team in the SOCON. They had 70 Ed, get this, they had 71 players on their roster that had four years of college football experience or more, including three seventh-years seventh year seniors, Ed. So they were a very uh, experienced team. They were very tough, and they were uh, well-coached. Uh, and then South Carolina, like I said, South Carolina is just not that good. I mean, after Shane Beamer celebrated the East Carolina win, like he just won the college football national championship game, kind of says all you need to know about that. So it, it really – Really, it's just the slate has not been uh, tough sledding for the Kentucky Wildcats uh, so far, and that's why they're four and zero over this stretch, even with all of the turnovers. How important of a hire is offensive coordinator Liam Cohen? Oh, and it's made all the difference in the world. Now, I, I will give Eddie Grand this: he needed to go, in my opinion, uh, not because I thought he was necessarily bad. If you look at some of the best run producing teams in the power five over the last half decade kentucky is at or near the top of the list the problem is that kentucky was hamstrung by a quarterback situation where terry wilson was not a good passer and then they suffered injuries to terry wilson and sawyer smith that forced uh the miami dolphin lynn bowden to play quarterback which he could not throw but he was the best athlete on the team, and they turned that into what was a pretty magical season here because uh, he led the SEC in rushing with only eight games as a starter at quarterback because of how they built that offense around him. What has made it so important isn't just what you see on the field now, but it's in recruiting. Wondell Robinson even went on a podcast uh uh, today, actually, of this recording, uh, the, he, he went on a podcast and said the reason why he didn't go to Kentucky was because he watched the team play and they they would never pass the ball. And that was the word going around in recruiting circles. And to compete in the SEC at a high level, as good as Kentucky was, even though they went 10-3 and three in 2018, when things are tough and, you know, stuff's up for grabs in a real way, in real SEC games – you have to be able to pass. And in the SEC, if you don't have the wide receiver talent where your guy can beat their guy at cornerback, then you're not going to win big SEC games. Liam Cohen has come in with an NFL system, and recruits are now believing in Kentucky. And this is the very first thing that they can put on paper and say, look, quarterbacks like Will Levis as a transfer or recruits, if you come here, you're going to be in an NFL offense throwing the ball. Wide receivers – you're going to catch the ball at every level. You are going to show the full route tree. You are going to go to the NFL and be able to put tape on that says, I can do this here and this is why. And that just hasn't been a, been the case really since Stoops has been here, but especially under Eddie Graham uh, during the Benny Snell era, Lynn Bowden, last year with Rodriguez and Wilson. Now 
they can go to the table with recruits and improve in that area. So as good as it's helped the football team in play through four games, it's going to make an even bigger difference in the recruiting trail and improving Kentucky's ceiling in the SEC. What happened to Will Levis at Penn State? Uh, he was just – I just think he was misused. And honestly, uh, there there are some things that have bore out where Will Levis, he's a bit of a gunslinger. He can be erratic with his accuracy at times. But at Penn State, they had him, and they were like, look, we, we're going to use you as a running quarterback, and that's going to be your specialty. And that's why Will Levis left. He wanted to show – he said, I have a rocket arm. I'm a big guy. I have the NFL prototype body and arm strength and he wanted to go somewhere where he could show it off to maybe one day become an NFL quarterback so where Penn State used him as a running quarterback and that's what he was labeled coming into Kentucky there was always the knowledge that that kid could throw you know 70 yards so now that he's at Kentucky he's able to pass the ball uh, much more than he runs. He's not even really used as a running threat that much so far. Actually, in any game, it was really against Missouri where he got to show off his running chops a little more. But he is in a pro-style system where he does throw the ball deep, and he has these receivers like Josh Ali and Wandale Robinson uh, that are good and can separate from corners. But he gets to show that, hey, if I improve my accuracy and I am and I show you I'm good enough, that I'm going to get a sniff at the NFL. And it just doesn't seem like Penn State State was going to give him that opportunity. Who do you think of the senior class will make the senior bowl this year? Well, oh, that's a good question. For for the senior bowl class, obviously Darian Kennard is one of the top offensive linemen in the entire country. Uh, at regardless of position on the offensive line, he was a preseason All-American, according to some teams. He was first team all SEC. He is a guy that could have left for the NFL last year, but again, with the way that Kentucky ran the ball so much, it was smart for him to come back and get pass rush, you know, pass blocking reps onto his tape to help improve his draft status. And he even said that when he came back, I don't want to be a draft pick. I want to be a top half of the first round draft pick. And that's what he came back to prove. Uh, But as a senior, that guy is the real deal. He is going to be an NFL starter someday. That's a guy really to target uh, when you're looking at the senior bowl, on that level, uh, depending on Josh Ali's numbers at the end of the year, I actually think that he is an NFL-level athlete. Now, he fumbled twice uh, on the same play, actually. Not, not on the same play, but they ran the same play twice, and he fumbled on end rounds both times. But uh, he's a guy that can separate. He's got a lot of speed. So that's someone that you could look to in the facet of a potential senior bowl player. Um, other guys, DeAndre Square is a guy that um, I think at linebacker that can get a sniff at the senior bowl. But Ed, there's one player that I've been championing for years now that could go to the senior bowl and you could see his draft status. In my opinion, just mine, that he could go into the first round range is Josh Paschal. Josh Paschal came from Maryland as a really – a fantastic athlete. He had the size, the strength, and the bend to really be a good edge prospect. But last year, Coach Stoops moved him to a 3-4 defensive end position at 6'4", 265 pounds. And you and I both know 3-4 defensive ends are usually 6'6", 300. 
at least prototypically, that's the type of size. And I was like, oh boy. I was like, there was part of me that said, this guy is going to absolutely get eaten alive. But part of me thought, man, Coach Stoops has coached some really good defensive players, NFL-level defensive players. He developed Josh Allen into a top-ten pick. I was like, maybe he knows something I don't. And Josh Paschal at 265, 270 is able to go up against 300 pounds, like guys 50 pounds above his class in the SEC where they do not grow offensive linemen a smaller week, and he can set the edge. He can completely bull rush his offensive tackle in the backfield. And even in a five technique, that head-to-head position with an offensive tackle, I swear to you, Ed, check the tape, he can actually run the arc around offensive tackles in the SEC from the five tech. He is an absolutely a supremely athletic, talented, and hardworking kid. And he's even overcome adversity with some melanoma that he had. And there was a thought that, you know, that it was life-threatening. And he's come back. And this guy is the real deal all the way around. And any NFL team is – I think all NFL teams are going to be chomping at the bit to get this kid on their roster. So Josh Paschal – is the guy that everybody should get on their radar if he's not already. Talk to me about right tackle Darian Kennard as an NFL prospect. Well, Darian Kennard, the one thing that impresses me so much is that he is just a full-grown man. Like, this kid is 6'5", 310-plus. He is built so well. He is built very strongly. He is never going to be a, a detriment in the run game. And so far... With an NFL-level passing uh, offense and system, everything's checked out. He's been able to hold up his side of the line. And obviously going up against uh, uh, Kingsley of of South Carolina, who's uh, thought to be a top 50 draft prospect as a pass rusher, you know, he only had a a slip-up here or there. But what I think he brings to an NFL team, is an instant plug-in starter at right tackle, especially if you're a team that runs the ball. I think he's very committed to what he does. I I just believe that Darian Kennard, he's a guy with very few holes. I don't think you're ever going to get like a Trent Williams or Tyron Smith level of left tackle potential athlete out of him. But I think that there's enough potential there to where you can put him at the line, you can put him as a starter, and that he is going to develop into a very consistent, very good offensive right tackle in the NFL. What kind of prospect is Yusuf Corker, the free safety? Ah, Yusuf Corker. He's a guy that I've really liked for a a while. Um, Even as early as his freshman year, and, and specifically, too, his sophomore year, Yusuf Corker was a guy that caught my eye. And I think that maybe I expected more out of him than what we've seen at Kentucky, but that is not to be detrimental to the player himself. He is very good in the run game. He's very solid overall. I think he's a guy that eventually you could maybe even move into more uh, short area cover situations. Uh, He plays free safety for the Kentucky Wildcats. I think that he will not be a high-level draft pick. Like, I don't think he's going to be a first, second rounder, maybe even third rounder. But I do think that he's definitely a day three guy that is just a very, very solid 
uh, defensive back in the secondary. And I think he's a guy that's going to make a lot of teams happy. And at worst case, he can be a backup special teamer type of guy. But he's a good level athlete, came from Georgia, was highly recruited, four-star prospect. He, he's a real player, and any team would be lucky to have him. What kind of nose tackle is Markan McCall at the next level? 350 well, pounds. Yeah, he's he's he is he's a what you see is what you get type of uh, nose tackle prospect. He he's really athletic uh, for for a man his size, but uh, it, it just doesn't really bear through as much in the pass rush game as you'd like. Uh, he has more of that ability, I guess, than Quentin Bohanna, who ended up getting drafted and stuck onto the Dallas Cowboys roster. Uh, but he's very much a eat, eat blockers old style nose tackle you know like the days of uh chris jenkins and vince wilfork uh he's that type of nose tackle uh i he was he was a four-star prospect he came in as potentially an offensive guard and was a highly recruited offensive lineman kentucky moved him to the defensive side of the ball played him at nose tackle uh he he is just he is a what you see is what you get if you want a nose tackle that can come in and eat blocks in the middle of your defense marquan mccall is the guy for you can you compare NFL prospect Chris Rodriguez to Benny Snell? You can in some ways. I actually think Chris Rodriguez is a little more athletic. Uh, I think he brings you a little more juice on long runs than Benny Snell did. I think the difference is, is that uh, Benny Snell was just such a workhorse. He was a guy that he's never going to pop. He's never going to give you special wiggle, but he's a guy that can – Take If you needed a guy, if we're talking about this as 1980, and you needed a guy to take 25 carries game in and game out, that guy could do it. Chris Rodriguez is a little more wiggly. He's got a little more burst. He's he's violent just like Benny Snell was. Um, I actually think Chris Rodriguez's ceiling is a little higher than Benny Snell's at the NFL level, but they are comparable in the terms that they're both violent runners, they're both aggressive, and they both can take on workloads because Chris Rodriguez has proved that he can take on a large workload here at the University of Kentucky. Angelo, thanks for being on the show. I pre- hey, every time that you have me on, it's always a blast. Thank you, Ed.